0: Thanks for tuning in to our weekly message. Be sure to visit our website, weareheartland.us to find out more about the ministry and all of our upcoming events. Welcome, Heartland, to our fifth and final week of Big Deal Meals. We hope you have enjoyed this series. Uh, If you've missed one of our weeks, feel free to journey back in our On Demand and check out our previous four weeks. But in this series, we have looked at, uh, this will be our fifth, big deal meal that Jesus had in the book of Luke. There's actually 10. So if you want to explore and read about all 10 accounts, you can do that. But we've explored uh, five. Hopefully you've enjoyed not only reading through the entire book of Luke, but also diving in with our Luke uh, study guide, which you can still uh, download. You can still pick up if you'd like to go through that uh, with our Luke study guide for our big deal meals. Uh, But this will be our fifth and final big deal meal for this series. Uh, And for this big deal meal I'm actually gonna tell you a a part of my story a part of my testimony uh, that happened half my life ago about 18 years ago was a real significant moment for me uh, with the Lord and in my spiritual walk and relationship with God having to do with uh, this big deal meal Um, I've actually taught about this at Heartland a bunch of years ago so for some of you uh, this might be review Uh, you might have heard this before but for those of you uh, I wanted to share this part of my story so for those of you that don't uh, know my past I grew up Uh, in a very Christian environment. I had uh, Christian parents. 99% of my friends were Christian. I was very involved at my church from the ages of about 10 to 18 uh, in volunteering and internships and teaching and acting, all that kind of thing. Really involved with my church. Uh, I even did uh, Christian school curriculum because I was homeschooled my whole life Uh, which is why i'm so pale and awkward Um, (laughs) so i even did school a christian school curriculum Uh, i read my bible i prayed i sang worship songs i listened to christian rock music which back in the 90s was real slim pickings nowadays there's a lot of great uh, christian artists out there when i was in high school man it was like dc talk uh train which is a band nobody's ever heard of and Five Iron Frenzy, and that's it. Just three good Christian bands back in the night, but I listened to Christian uh, rock music. Uh, I was taught to tithe 10% of my allowance or my first couple jobs that I had growing up, and all of it was very genuine. It was all very real. None of it was really faked for me, but I will will say I felt like my faith during that time was very uh, situational. Um, meaning uh, because I was just surrounded by so many Christian, uh, biblical, God-fearing influences, that just sort of naturally contributed to my spiritual growth. I compared it, or I think of it a little bit like I was a tree surrounded by waterfalls. And so all these things were around me, uh, pouring into me, so I really didn't have to make a whole lot of effort to grow in my relationship with God, to learn more about who he was. Uh, It just sort of all happened around me. And as I said, it was all genuine. Within the middle of that, I knew who God was. I knew the Lord. uh, You know, I could sense his presence, hear his voice. I knew who Jesus was, that he loved me, that he died for me, that he sacrificed his life so I could spend eternity with God. So all of that was true until one day when I was about 18 years old and suddenly, overnight, God left me. It suddenly felt like in the blink of an eye, God was there and then God was not. I went from the vast majority of my life, my friends, my activities being directly connected to God to suddenly not being able to feel him at all. He was suddenly and completely gone. I'd been a Christian, surrounded by Christianity, had so many moments of knowing God and sensing God, experiencing his presence, experiencing the emotion that came along with that, experiencing the voice of God, and suddenly I couldn't at all. Like all the waterfalls around me had suddenly dried up and everything that was pouring life and purpose and joy and hope into my life was gone and I started to wither. My faith, my passion, everything in between just started to slowly die. It was a completely unfamiliar feeling, something I'd never experienced before. And it began this downward journey of my life into like this spiritual funk, almost like a, a, like a spiritual depression. My attitude became bad. I was shut down emotionally. I distanced myself from the people around me. My spirit became really depressed and angry and lonely. And during this time, I went through all these different stages, almost like the stages of grief as I experienced wondering why God had left me. First was denial. I would tell myself, no, 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 I can still totally feel God, you know, just not as strong. And so I would fake it during worship by raising my hands during songs and when I was at church or I would pray out loud with passion in a small group even though I had no passion. I would talk to my youth pastor about this powerful emotional moment during church that I had even though it felt a million miles away. And then I would get home and write in my journal, God, why weren't you with me today? Then I got angry. I mean, come on, I literally spent my entire life devoted to doing stuff for and around God, like for the Christian purpose. I I prayed, I volunteered, I tithed, and now God was just going to up and vanish? Like, who does that? Then I tried bargaining with God. I was like, all right, Lord, if I pray really hard for this specific person, or if I read this much of my Bible a day, then will you please come back? Then I was super insecure. Like, was God angry at me? Was it something I did, something I didn't do? I Doubt took hold. Was God ever there in the first place? Had I just been duped and tricked and was faking, you know, this whole thing was fake for most of my entire life, and now suddenly this was the reality. And then finally, I just got lonely. Deeply lonely. I'd grown up my entire life doing it with God, and now he was gone. The God who had been my constant for almost, like I said, everything in my life suddenly wasn't there anymore, and I came really close to giving up. I mean, this was totally his fault. I had done everything right, and all I felt like doing was walking out of a church for the last time, looking up at the sky, and saying, God, forget you if you're even there. Further and further down into this hole, into this funk, into this spiritual depression, I fell. I fell totally abandoned, totally isolated, totally alone. And I probably would have continued down that journey to who knows where until one day in Kansas City. Now, the account we're going to look at this morning or today, whenever you happen to be watching or listening, takes place on what's called Emmaus Road. It was a road between uh, Jericho and Jerusalem that some of the disciples were on. And my life was changed on the road to Emmaus, not, uh, not, which is nowhere near Kansas City, uh, Missouri. Uh, but my life was changed and it has to do with this big deal meal. Now this big deal meal is actually literally the shortest meal we'll be looking at in this series. In fact, it's the shortest of all 10 accounts in Luke. It's just a split second, but it holds so much significance. So before we read it, uh, uh, let me let me explain a little bit. So in Kansas City, uh, I can't feel God. I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm lonely, I'm confused. This is uncharted waters. And then a bunch of my friends and some of my family are going to this worship conference in Kansas City. It was called one thing and it was this big deal. It actually took place on December 31st and it was a 12 hour worship concert from 12 p.m. to 12 a.m. to usher in the new year that we'd spend 12 hours Worshipping, there were tens of thousands of people there. Whole bunch of worship bands that would uh, you know trade out about every hour, so they didn't play for 12 straight hours. That would just be torture. Um, there were you know uh, speakers and preachers and uh, prophesiers and people praying, and it was in this huge, huge arena. Like I said, with tens of thousands of people, the whole experience was incredibly passionate, powerful, energetic. Uh, an enormous arena. People were crying, were dancing, were praying, were kneeling. Uh, clearly, having this unbelievable experience with God and then there was me in the middle of it with my hands in my pockets wondering if I could somehow make an excuse to go to the bathroom again to escape this room without raising serious questions about you know the state or size of my bladder. I just wanted to get out of there because for me this was a very different experience. I stood there feeling so shut down all of this God stuff going on around me and me not feeling anything especially not God. At some point during this worship service, uh, a mentor of mine at the time saw me in the aisle, she leaned forward, she kind of caught my eye and motioned me uh, to follow her. And I was just grateful to get out of that room. I was like, great, I don't have to like fake this anymore or be be a part of this thing that I'm clearly not included on. Uh, So I followed her out. We went to this food court area that was a little bit uh, uh, also in the conference center, a little little bit ways away, this huge food court. Um, I slumped down in this chair across from her at the table and I was not looking forward to this conversation. I was sure uh, she was going to reprimand me, say, "Hey, you need to really like worship more, really engage a little bit more." I don't know what you know your problem is. Everybody else is having this great God experience, and there's clearly something that you're not doing to engage in this. I really need you to to engage in worship. So I, that's 100% what I was expecting. And then suddenly, as she was looking at me, she said this: "She said, Dugan, can you feel God?" And I had to quickly <laughs> stop this like well of emotion. That almost burst out of me because it was the first time anybody had correctly identified and asked me about what was truly going on inside of me. I looked down at the floor. I fidgeted a little bit. For a split second, I debated lying. I debated just trying to fake it and saying I was tired or something. I I didn't know what I would say. But I didn't have the strength to fake it anymore. So I quietly said no. And I haven't felt him for a long time. She nodded with a smile and said, yeah, I thought so. She pulled out her Bible, flipped to a page, and slid it across the table. She pointed to Luke 24, verse 13, and said, read this. And this is the big deal meal that we're exploring today. So quick, brief background before I read this. Uh, This was a moment uh, after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected, but the disciples had not seen him yet. So he'd been crucified a third day, he rose again, he was alive, conquered sin, death, darkness, all that, but the disciples didn't know it yet. Here's where we're going to pick up the story on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. It says, That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk? They stopped short, sadness written across their face. Then one of them, Cleopas, said, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the last few days. What things? Jesus asked, which is really funny. "Uh, The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he was going to go on. He was like, you know, peace out. But they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. Here's the big deal meal, shortest one in all the accounts. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. So as I said, real short meal, like they didn't even get to eating. He blessed the bread, broke it, gave it to them. Suddenly they realized it was him. And then Jesus pulled the David Blaine and he was out of there. So I'll come back to this account uh, in just a minute. But first I just want to say a brief word about emotions. We, as a culture, uh, base a lot on how we feel. We base a ton on our emotion. We almost base everything we do on what is going to make us feel positive emotions and avoiding the things that are going to make us feel negative emotions. Sometimes, regardless of the consequences or potential pain to others, we are usually most driven by what is going to make us feel good. Love is a good example. Now obviously this isn't true for everybody, but for some people, uh, feeling the chemistry of love or lust saying that they're in love, people can enter into a relationship solely based on that feeling, and then once that feeling runs out, they believe the relationship isn't real, never w- was real, or it isn't important anymore. We say things like, we f- I fell in love, and then I fell out of love. Like this emotional, you know, tumultuous journey is the thing determining our decisions, determining reality, determining our commitment, determining relationship based on whether we feel this particular thing or not. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with love, there's nothing wrong with chemistry, nothing wrong with that passion, with that love, with that drive, but when we begin letting our emotions determine our true happiness, determine the choices that we make, we are putting our faith and our trust and our future into something very fragile. And I don't think that's the way that we were meant to live, at the whims of what we feel, at the mercy of our emotions. Here's a few truths about our emotions. First of all, emotions are fragile. They can change in a split second. And if you don't believe me, you should be a Chicago sports fan because being a Chicago sports fan, you can feel just elation at one moment and then just total depression the other. It's a very quick thing uh, that happens. Any sports game, your emotions can change in a split second. They're very fragile, very, uh, uh, you know, based on external circumstances can change just in the drop of a pin. Secondly, emotions are also temporary. No emotion has ever lasted forever. Now, some of them, of course, last a long time, but they come and go. When I was 12 years old, I was totally in love with this girl that I was 100% convinced I was going to marry. Guess what? I didn't marry that girl. Also, emotions are not within our control. They are most often determined by outside circumstances. Something happens which causes us to feel. We think something that causes us to feel, neither of which we are necessarily in control of. The world is happening around us, and because of those things happening, that causes us to feel something. As a brief side note, this is why those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, this is why things like the joy of the Lord or peace that passes understanding is so powerful because God is saying you can experience these, not emotions, you can experience this state of being of joy and peace in our spirit despite your circumstances. Fourth, emotions can be straight up wrong. Now yes, they are real for the person in the moment, but objectively, emotions can be incorrect. Here's a silly example of this, uh, but when Lindsay and I had first uh, got married, we'd just been married a couple years, and as you know, she's an artist, she's a painter, and uh there was this one day where she was down in our basement in this kind of like corner of the basement where she had all her art studio and supplies set up and so she was uh down there she had headphones on she was in like her painting scrubs and she was painting and i brought uh i was doing some laundry so our laundry room was downstairs so i brought a basket of laundry down to start the the wash and her back was to me and i had this moment watching her with her headphones on painting and it just was this moment of like deep affection for me. I just saw my, you know, beautiful wife and she was doing what God created her to do, having so much fun doing it. She just looks so cute. So I just kind of stood there for a moment watching her and out of the corner of her eye, she sees this shadowy figure standing silently behind her in the basement and turns around and screams and starts crying. And I was like, no, 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 babe. This was a good moment. We, I was having a good, m- okay, I'll go upstairs. And then I went up upstairs. So we laugh about it now, but in that moment, she felt something that, you know, again, it was real for her. She was terrified, me, creepy, shadowy figure with the laundry basket uh, behind her standing. But objectively, in that moment, that emotion wasn't right. Like there was no creepy stalker behind her. It was her husband lovingly adore her, but her emotions got a little bit ahead of logic and she felt it and it was wrong. Anyway, we laugh about it now. We're, we're all good. But emotions can be incorrect. Emotions are simply, they're literally just chemicals released from a particular part of our brain when something happens to us. The limbic system in our brain, in the, right here at the back of our head, releases things like dopamine and serotonin when we hear, feel, smell, touch, or see something that makes us feel. We can't control them anymore then we can control drinking a Red Bull and not feeling energized, or taking Tylenol PM and not feeling sleepy. Emotions are chemicals released in our brain based on something that happens to us that causes us to feel. So therefore, they are a terrible thing to base our faith or purpose or decision-making on. Now I want to be clear too, I'm not saying emotions are bad in any way. We are created in God's image. God himself is described as having emotions like passion and anger and drive and and love for his people. So I'm not in any way saying emotions are bad. Feeling is a good thing. Emotions are a good thing. However, what I am saying is that emotions should not be the motivation or determining factor or driving force for certain things, when we base certain things like our faith, like our decision making, simply on emotions that can lead to pain and destruction and deceit. Here's why because God is so much bigger than what we feel. Because God is not contained within our emotion. Let me say that again God is not contained within our emotion. There might be moments, yes, when we experience positive emotions due to sensing God's presence, during a worship song, hearing God's voice, when we come to understand something so powerful in scripture or about Jesus and how he has forgiven us. We might have moments of unbelievably positive emotions when we experience something like baptism or on a retreat or in a moment with a significant other or a close friend based on what God is doing and what God is speaking. And all that is amazing and wonderful and totally God-driven. The problem happens, though, when what happens when that emotion is no longer there? See, through deductive reasoning, what I went through 18 years ago is this, is this formula. That if I feel positive emotion when I feel God's presence, then when I don't feel that positive emotion, naturally that must mean that God is not present, right? And yet, as I said, God is not bound by what we feel. He is way, way bigger than that. Let's look at the account uh, from Emmaus again on the road to Emmaus. There's a very interesting phrase, a shocking phrase actually, in verse 16 of Luke 24 that simply says this. As Jesus is walking with the disciples, this phrase that simply says, but God kept them from recognizing him here's what this means jesus showed up and started walking with the disciples who knew his face knew his voice you know had spent time following listening uh, recording his teeth spent a lot of time with them they would have known jesus but god intervened miraculously supernaturally and kept them from recognizing jesus the disciples did not know It was Jesus with them, but it didn't change the fact that he was. And this was a truth that smacked me right in the face as I sat at this table in a food court at a conference in Kansas City. The thought that had never occurred to me before that God might be with me even when I can't feel him. Even when I don't feel the positive emotions that I had so often associated with God's presence, even when I don't feel that, the truth still remained, God still can be with me. Not only can God can be with me, Scripture makes it clear God is with us no matter what. Some Scripture that we talked about in our wilderness series, our previous series, Deuteronomy 31, the Lord He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Jesus himself, Matthew 28, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this truth that despite what we may feel God is with us. And according to Luke 24, according to this big deal meal account, The Road to Emmaus, there might be times when God keeps us from recognizing that He's there, but He is still there. So then the question becomes why? Like, why in the world would God prevent us from knowing His presence was there? Why would God prevent people from seeing or sensing or feeling His presence? Well, as we read through, the rest of the uh, Emmaus account in Luke 24, again, something really interesting happens. That it says God prevented them from knowing Jesus was, th- was with them. But then what Jesus does is he begins to teach the disciples the truth about the meanings of Scripture. As it said, he walked through all the prophets and the book of Moses to teach them about the prophecies concerning himself, the Messiah. Luke 24, 27 says, Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The reason God had to prevent them from recognizing it was Jesus is because Jesus needed to speak some truth to them and wanted them to listen. And had they known it was Jesus, they would have been way too distracted with his presence to truly listen. And therefore, there might be times in our lives When God chooses to hide his presence from us, not that he's not with us, just hide our awareness of his presence so that we can listen. God's presence is so powerful and so holy and so incredible that when we are aware of it, our spirits are too distracted by the presence of God to truly listen to his still small voice in our spirit. And so there might be times when God chooses to hide his presence from us because he wants to speak truth into our lives. And some of you uh, might be in a season like this. Some of you might be in a season where you are feeling God 24-7. You are sensing his presence, hearing his voice. You feel the spirit during worship. You sense it when you read scripture. You sense it when you're in community. And all of that's great. If that's you, if you are in that season, man, enjoy it. Praise God for that. Tell your story. Speak the truth and the presence and your testimony of how much God is doing and how present he is in your life. That's awesome. Uh, That's amazing. That's wonderful. But some of you might be in a different season, especially during this time of no in-person church and very restricted community, if any at all. You might be in a season where you do not feel God or it might be really, really, really hard to. And if that's you, There's two things you need to understand. The first is that God is with you, despite what you feel. God's presence, God's promises from Scripture are way, way bigger than what we might feel. And even if we don't feel like God is with us, that does not change the truth that he is with you, always and forever. In our deepest valleys, in our highest peaks, God promises never, ever, ever to leave us. So even when you can't feel it, hold on, that truth saying, Lord, I can't feel it but I'm choosing to believe trusting that you are still with me because God makes that promise over and over again. And the second thing I would say to you is that maybe God is intentionally hiding his presence from you because he wants you to listen. Just like the disciples in Luke 24 It's possible that God might be intentionally withholding the emotional experience of his presence because that's so distracting and so wonderful because there are things God wants to speak directly to your spirit. And the only thing you have to do is listen. Not feeling God's presence doesn't mean you did something wrong, doesn't mean God is angry, doesn't mean there's something broken in your life and suddenly God has left. None of that is true because the truth is that God is with you. The reality might be that God is simply withholding presence because he wants you to listen and so I encourage you to do so. Get a journal or a laptop and simply listen and listen and write down what you feel God's speaking to you. It won't be easy. It's probably going to take some practice to quiet our minds, quiet ourselves and listen to the still, small voice of God. But when you do, suddenly the voice of the Lord will flow through you. And this is exactly what happened to me as I sat uh, in the food court in Kansas City, sat at that table, encouraged by this message, as my mentor speaking these truths to me, saying, God is with you no matter what you feel. God is speaking to you, Dugan. I want you to go write down what he's saying. And so for the rest of that worship conference, I didn't stand with arms raised. I didn't go up to the front and kneel. I didn't dance around. I didn't get prayed for. I literally went to the back of the room with the worship concert going on. I sat with a journal and a pen and I said, Lord, I can't feel you, but I'm believing that you're speaking to me i am been listening. And over the course of not only that conference, but over the course of the next year, I didn't feel God's presence, but I feel journal after journal, notebook after notebook after notebook of what I sensed God speaking to me, and it was incredible. So, for those of you who can't feel God, maybe he's trying to talk to you, and maybe the simple act of listening, of believing the truth that God is here, God is speaking. Suddenly, will open the door to everything that God wants to speak to you. I'll close with this story. If um, I remember, when my daughter Ava was real young, she was uh, uh, just a few months old, six, six months old. You know, couldn't crawl yet, couldn't crawl or uh, walk, couldn't talk anything like that. Uh, and I remember I was home alone with her um, uh, one day, and, uh, and so I was holding her, and I had to go do something, so I put her in the middle of our king-size bed. Again, she couldn't roll or anything, so she, it wasn't, don't call DCFS. So I put her in the middle of our bed, and she just was laying there, and I was like right around the corner doing something, and she started to cry, and I, I was in the middle of something, so I couldn't leave, and I just said, Ava, honey, I'm right here, baby, I'll be right there, and the minute I started talking, she, she quieted, she stopped crying. And then I would stop talking and she'd start crying again. And I was like, honey, I'm, baby, I'm right here. I'll be right there. And so I realized every time I talked, she would quiet herself. And then I finished up and I went and picked her up and held her. And I just remember this moment. I was standing in our bedroom in Rockford, Illinois, in, in our bedroom door. And I remember so clearly God saying, Dugan, this is sometimes what I do with you. Or sometimes you don't know I'm there, but I'm right there. And when I speak, you're going to hear me and you're going to listen because I'm speaking to you, even if you can't see or sense or feel my presence, I'm with you and I'm speaking. And this was a truth from this passage that changed my life. So moments as I go through my day where I can't feel God, I listen. I choose to believe knowing God is with me no matter what. I don't get discouraged thinking God's angry, I've done something wrong. I don't think God has abandoned me because he promises he never will. I just can't feel his presence right now and maybe that means it's because he wants to speak to me. Because no matter what we do, no matter what we feel, no matter what we've done, no matter what's been done to us, we are never, ever alone. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now, Lord, for anybody watching, listening to this right now, Lord, that that peace that passes understanding would settle on our hearts. The peace knowing the truth, even not feeling the truth, but knowing the truth, Um, that you are with us. That you promise to, to never leave us, never forsake us. And Lord, especially during these times of uncertainty and pain and discouragement and fear, Lord, I pray for that peace in Jesus' name. The peace that doesn't make sense, the peace that does not fit necessarily with our circumstances, but that peace would settle on our hearts knowing you are with us. And Lord, I want to pray for those Uh, who may not feel your presence, maybe haven't for a long time, God, I pray that you would give us the humility, the stillness, the quietness to listen. And we would hear your voice, the voice of our shepherd, speaking truth, speaking love, speaking encouragement, speaking guidance to our spirits. That maybe even during this season of quarantine and social distancing, as painful as it can be sometimes, this gives us the opportunity to quiet ourselves to sit alone and to hear your voice. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, If you're watching uh, on Sunday morning, let me just get a quick uh, drink of my coffee here. Uh, yeah, if you're watching Sunday morning, it should be a good uh, Bears-Packers game. If you're watching after Sunday morning, I'm sure the Bears have already lost, and so congrats to your Packers. Uh, thanks for joining us for our fifth week of Big Deal Meals. We will see you right back here next Sunday at 9 or on demand after that. Have a great week. Thanks so much for listening today. For service times and details, head to weareheartland.us.